Welcome back to the Bible Brush Up podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at the patriarchal blessing and following some character development that is revealed in those blessings. And uh, the patriarchal blessing is an idea that we are we view as kind of foreign because it doesn't happen today. We never do old people at the end of their age put their right hand on one child and their left hand on another and predict the future of the family tree. Uh, or if they did try to do that, we would kind of write it off as you're, you're crazy. But back then in the Old Testament, especially in the early era, not the entire Old Testament, but early in the patriarchal era, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, these patriarchal figures at the end of their life would do this. They would put a right hand on a child and they would speak in an authoritative manner that would not only maybe summarize up the life that they've lived, but also show them some insight of what was to come. They would predict the future, not just of their life, but their entire family tree. And many of the New Testament fulfillments are in relation to some of these predictions that occur. And, and so we see that there's some power here and and often resembles how we would view the inspiration of Scripture. God is speaking through a human agent to reveal uh, a divine truth. And that seems to be the case when Isaac is giving a blessing to Jacob, who he was intending for it to be for Esau. So in his human reasoning, he thought the blessing should go to the firstborn. But through this trickery, and God had already predicted that the older would serve the younger. And so Jacob comes dressed up like Esau, and he fools the human reasoning of Isaac. And Isaac provides a blessing that is very favorable for Jacob, even though he thinks that it's Esau. But when Jacob comes, or I'm sorry, when Esau comes in later and says, well, give me a blessing. Give me the, the blessing that was intended for me. Isaac is pretty much saying, well, what's done is done because this was God speaking. It's not just him communicating something that he wants to communicate, but it's a divine utterance. And when we get to Genesis 49, Jacob now has grown up, he's old, his sons are ready to receive their blessing. And he doesn't just bless one of them, but rather he blesses all of them. But it's not an equal blessing, and it's not one is favorable and the rest are bad. Uh, there's a mixed bag here. But we do see th three negative blessings, if we want to call them blessings, um, but three negative utterances followed up by a very favorable utterance for Judah. And so when we talk about character development and personalities and looking at lives lived and what's to come in their family trees through uh, their genealogies, it's interesting to see that Reuben gets a negative blessing because Reuben, if you look at his life, it appears like he was a pretty good guy, at least on the surface of some of the stories that we have. We don't have a lot of stories about Reuben. He's not a major character. I would say in this entire uh, section of Genesis, he may be like the third or fourth most important player, but um, he's not really seen as a bad guy. When the brothers are trying to kill Joseph, he wants to save his life. When the brothers want to sell Joseph, they do so without Reuben there. And when Reuben shows up, he's devastated. He wanted to return Joseph to his father, Jacob. And so Reuben gets marks for being the good one in that story. Later on, when they're going to go back and uh, reclaim their brother who's left behind in Egypt, 
Reuben says, if I don't come back with the whole family, then you can kill my sons. He's like leaving his sons on the table as a, a payment uh, for what's to come because he's taking it upon himself to make sure that the family is reunited. So it seems like he's doing the heroic thing there, at least from my surface reading of that. But then, lo and behold, he ends up getting a negative prophetic utterance at the time of blessing. And one of the things that he did wrong is actually mentioned there. And so it becomes a a rationale for the negative trajectory of his family tree. And that goes all the way back to Genesis 35. And in Genesis Genesis 35, you're reading through that. And all of a sudden, abruptly out of nowhere comes this record of Reuben sleeping with his father's concubine, Bilhah. And Bilhah was the mother of some of his, of uh, Reuben's own brothers. So Jacob had four different women that he had children with, and one of them was Bilhah. And so Reuben is sleeping with his brother's mother, some of his brother's mother, and then with his father's concubine. And this was a violation of the moral code that eventually gets codified in the Mosaic law later on, but this is violating an, a a social norm to the Israelites. And I guess it is so perverse to them that it deserves a curse. It's sort of like Ham. When Ham did this negative thing to Noah, this sexually immoral thing with Noah, whatever that was, it resulted in a curse that was to follow him and his family tree. And so we get the same thing really with Reuben here. And then we move on to the next blessing or negative, negative blessing or curse, however you want to word it. And it's with Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi in Genesis 34, they retaliate against a community of people who obviously violated the family by uh, one of the members raping their sister, uh, Simeon and Levi's sister. But what was supposed to be an arranged method of reconciling uh, for that sin um, the people were going to be circumcised and become sort of like becoming Jews in a sense. They're they're circumcising themselves, and then there's going to be a wedding where the violator uh, ends up marrying the raped sister, Dina. And that was supposed to be the reconciliation. That was the agreed-upon method of making right what had been done wrong. But Simeon and Levi go a step further, and when the people are recovering from their wounds of circumcision, they go in and kill everybody. And so Jacob is very upset with them at this. He says, you're going to bring shame upon me. It's going to bring like everybody that knows these people and everybody that's related to these people. They're going to be after me now, thinking that I did this on purpose. And so at the end of life, when Jacob is there to pronounce the blessing, Simeon and Levi, they actually are pronounced in a negative light because of this sin, this violation, this thing that they did. They took matters into their own hands. They went against the family plan, and and as a result, they end up getting this negative pronouncement at the end of Jacob's life. Uh, but then we move to the next character, and this is the one that really stands out and the one that I think we should focus on the most, and that's Judah. Judah does not seem to be a good guy at all. 
yet Judah is the one who they say uh, the scepter is going to be in Judah and that he's going to rule forevermore. And so we've got this prediction and prophecy that sets up not only the Davidic line that's going to come out of Judah when we get to King David, we'll see the kingdom transfer from Saul to David. So it goes out of, out of uh, one tribe to another, and it transfers over to Judah, and in Judah it stays. And it stays all the way until the Lion of Judah shows up, Jesus Christ, who holds the scepter forevermore, ruling and reigning forevermore. And so this prophecy, it is long-reaching, all the way into the New Testament, all the way into eternity, because he will forevermore be king. However, it's like, why does Judah get this privilege? Why does he get to be the one through whom these blessings occur? And you look at Judah's life, and it can't be for what he did, you know, early on in life. We go to Genesis 37, and it's Judah who wants to sell Joseph into slavery. I'm sure Judah would have been fine with killing him, but he gets to thinking about it, and he says, I don't want to have to bury the body. I don't want to have to clean up the mess, and I don't want to have to go um, try to cover that up. And so, plus, I don't get anything for it. It's a lot of work. And so he comes up with the idea and he leads the other brothers to say, let's just sell them. Let's sell them. They can take the body. They can do with them whatever they please and we get the money for it. And so that's what they do. And then shortly after that, you get another story about Judah. And it comes, it's the very next chapter, and it comes very abruptly. You're reading about Joseph being sold into slavery and the rest of the book of Genesis is focused around Joseph and that narrative. But then in the middle of this, you get this story about Judah and Tamar. And so Judah's um, son had married Tamar and he dies before she could have children. And so the thing that they were supposed to do is have a brother of that son, of another, another son of Judah, come in and produce children with Tamar. That becomes codified also in the Mosaic Law. And so a lot of these Mosaic Laws later on that are written down are already understood to be the right thing to do. And so one brother comes in, but doesn't fulfill his duty. Another brother comes in, doesn't fulfill his duty. And because they're not fulfilling their duty, they're dying. God is punishing them for not doing the right thing. And Judah doesn't want to lose any more sons. And so he just says, I'm not going to send my youngest son. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to abandon Tamar. She's no good. But then he sins by going into what he believes to be a prostitute. And what happens is she demands, it's Tamar, and she demands his staff and his signet ring. And later on, she uses those items to identify the man responsible for impregnating her. And come to find out, it is Judah. It's Judah. And so Judah recognizes his sin, and he knows that he's guilty here. And then that story ends, and it picks up the Joseph narrative. And you're like, what in the world was that all about? That seems weird and abrupt. In our men's Sunday school class this past week, we were talking about that chapter and how it seems so abrupt. And uh, we were digging around with some of the names that came out of it. And Tamar uh, is one of the four women mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. So we get a descendant or a, a, a member of the family tree of Jesus in this story, uh, Tamar shows up and her son Perez is part of the lineage of Christ. So that's one of the reasons that chapter is so important, but it's not just that. I think it shows the development of Judah. It develops that personality and shows how evil this guy was. And with that being said, if he's evil enough to kill and he's evil enough to sell someone into slavery and he's evil enough uh, to forsake his duties as a, a father figure and leader of his house and he's 
and also immoral enough to engage in sexual immorality, then why is he blessed with the scepter? Well, I think the development of this character takes a shift and a change after chapter 38. Because by the time we get to chapter 43, when they're going back to Egypt to get more grain, and they've got to take Benjamin this time, and Jacob is not wanting to let go of his youngest son, Judah goes to him and says, listen, my life will be at stake here. I will put my life on the line and I will be personally responsible for Benjamin. If he don't come back, I'm not coming back. I will bear the shame forevermore if Benjamin does not come back to you. He's willing to lay down his life to assure Jacob that Benjamin will come back. And then when we get to chapter 44 and after Joseph does a little trickery and slips in his divination cup into Benjamin's bag. And it's found out that Benjamin apparently stole this cup. And Joseph is ready to declare that Benjamin will stay behind. The first person that runs up in defense of Benjamin and the first one ready to give his life for Benjamin is Judah. Judah runs up there and says, no, take me instead, please. It it would bring devastation upon my father. So it shows Judah's love for his father. He's not willing to put him through that again. He's already put him through it once. And he obviously learned his lesson because Jacob was completely devastated when Joseph was pronounced dead. And he's not willing to go through that again. Furthermore, he's not willing to leave his brother behind. He's already lost a brother once. And apparently that didn't sit well with him. Even though it felt good at the time, it does not seem that he was okay with that decision. It seemed to maybe eat at him and cause more trouble than what he had bargained for when the decision was made. And so now he wants to lay down his own life and stay in Egypt for the rest of his life, apart from his family, apart from everything, and be a servant in the household of Pharaoh if need be, in order to get Benjamin released. This is a different Judah than what we saw several chapters back. This is a different Judah than what we see with Tamar. Uh, It seems that Judah may have turned a corner. And that may not be the only reason why he gets a, a positive pronouncement in this blessing from Jacob later on. But it does seem like it may reveal a character change in Judah's life. And it at least contributes to the overall narrative of reconciliation between brothers. Joseph, it seems, is setting up these traps and arranging these scenarios to see if the brothers are the same old brothers. Are they willing to leave their brother behind to die like they were willing to send him off into Egypt to slavery? Or are they different now from when they were years prior? And as that story unfolds, it seems that they are a different group of people. And by the time you get to chapter 44, they're no longer referring to the Israelites or the brothers, they're referring to Judah and his brothers. They make a reference of Judah and his brothers. And that means that Judah has sort of become the ringleader. Anytime you've got a name and then the other people in the story are just described in relation to that name, Judah and his brothers, Jesus and his disciples, Paul and his companions. We know who the main character is at that point because they're the ones that are being given a designated name where the other people are just described in relation to that name. And so while the 12 uh, sons of Jacob are all important in different ways and at different times, they may rise up to be the main character. But at this point in the story, Judah has risen to that place of prominence. And it's probably why Judah 
rises to a place of prominence in the blessing when it unfolds in Genesis 49. So that's just a quick look at how characters can develop and change over time. It's a look at how blessings and genealogies and events might cause you to go back and look at the storyline a little more carefully with a little more precision to see exactly what's happening and how things are transpiring. It's a look at how language describes what is going on, not just in the words that are said, but how they are said, how they are used. And I hope that this will help you to glean a little more in your Bible reading, and it will help you with other blessings that arise and other genealogies that arise as you move forward in your reading of the Torah. We'll see you next time on The Bible Brushing.